Hear now the word of God. A good name is better than precious ointment. And the day of death than the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind. And the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter. For by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning. But the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of fools. This also is vanity. Surely oppression drives the wise into madness and a bribe corrupts the heart. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning. And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the bosom of fools. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For for it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Wisdom is good with an inheritance, an advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money. And the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider. God has made the one as well as the other. So that man may not found out anything that will be after him. In my vain life, I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness. And there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Be not overly righteous, and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you should take hold of this, and from that withhold not your hand, for the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. Wisdom gives strength to the wise man more than ten rulers who are in the city. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you have yourself cursed others. All this I have tested by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it out? Let's pray. Father, we have strange words in front of us this morning, and so once again, we call out to you for your help. We do say, come Holy Spirit, come. We pray that the Spirit would open our eyes, would open our minds to receive the light of your truth. We pray that you would teach us, we pray that you would give us humility to receive this, and we pray that you would bless us with the gospel power to change to live lives in light of your truth, lives that reflect your glory, lives that demonstrate your grace to the world around us. We need help for this, and so would you give it to us. We pray confidently in the name of Jesus. Amen. 
It is texts like these that get Ecclesiastes into trouble. Uh, especially with the, the Committee on Biblical Appropriate Things to Say. All right? if you, I don't think that committee exists, uh, but the acronym is COBATS, just in case it does. And, uh, and if it did, Ecclesiastes would be in trouble with it. Biblically appropriate things to say. Because in verse 16, what does he tell us? Wisdom, righteousness, yeah, not too much. Just a little bit. Don't overdo it. Now think about this. Righteousness is, is the characteristic of a life that is lived according to the standards that God has revealed. And in particular, the standards that He has revealed in the context of the Old Testament in the law. The law that He gave to Moses and to the people of Israel Mount Sinai. That's righteousness. A life lived according to those standards. Wisdom is closely connected to righteousness. Wisdom is being able to take those standards of righteousness and apply them in the complicated details of life. How do God's standards work out in the nitty-gritty of daily life, in those confusing and difficult circumstances? Wisdom and righteousness, two very closely connected virtues that the Old Testament celebrates. They're the center of what God tells us in His Word He wants from His people. He wants them to be characterized as wise and righteous. And Ecclesiastes belongs to a group of books called the wisdom literature in the Old Testament, Proverbs, part of Psalms, and Job. And these books were meant to train God's people in wisdom and righteousness. But Ecclesiastes, as wisdom book, in pursuit of this goal, says, don't overdo it. Don't overdo wisdom. Don't overdo righteousness. What do we do with that? And not only given what Scripture says about wisdom and righteousness, but, but given that many in the, of us in this room would love, would genuinely love for our lives to be characterized by these two virtues. I think many of us would love to be known as righteous and wise men and women. But the teacher tells us, don't want it too much. Don't overdo it. What do we do with that? Well, I want us to think about this text. And we'll see that in the teaching of Ecclesiastes, wisdom and righteousness are good, but limited. So first of all, good. Wisdom and righteousness are good. This chapter opens with an invitation, invitation to the school of wisdom. The teacher wants to invite us to the classroom. And the goal of this education is found in verse 1. It's a good reputation. He says a good name is better than precious ointment. The goal of learning wisdom is to have a good reputation, and that's why the day of death is better than the day of birth. Because a reputation is proved... Not by the name you're given when you're born, but by how you are remembered when you die. And the teacher wants us to train us in wisdom so that we can have a good reputation. And the idea is not that we're known as smart and gifted and all of those sorts of things, but that we have a reputation of being a benefit to the community around us. That's the goal of wisdom. But how does it happen? How do we learn it? 
The teacher unfolds his method in the verses that follow. And I think we could, we could summarize Ecclesiastes' pedagogy, his pedagogical, his educational method, as by saying, you don't learn in the easy, happy, comfortable times of life. Verses 2 to 4, you learn wisdom by going to funerals, by reflecting on sorrow and grief and mortality. Verses 5 to 7, you learn wisdom in the uncomfortable circumstances of life, the uncomfortable conversations of life. And so wisdom is learned when you can welcome the confrontation of the wise and you reject the entertaining laughter of fools and you reject even the possibility of financial benefit with a bribe. Verses 8 to 10, you learn wisdom in the imperfection of the present. Knowing that the end is better than the beginning, not giving yourself to anger and frustration with what is wrong with your life now, and not escaping to nostalgia about the past, that the former days were better. These are the classrooms of wisdom. Are you ready to enroll? Not a very effective uh, recruiting tool, is it? To say, hey, come learn wisdom and learn it with death and hard conversations and patience with a less than ideal present. Why would we join the teacher? Why would we receive this education? Why would we want the wisdom that he wants to give to us? Well, the word tov, the Hebrew word tov, is repeated 11 times in these verses. And the word tov is the word for good. And just so you understand, the weight of that word is the word that God uses to describe his creation as he makes it in Genesis 1. He says it is all good, and so it is a weighty word. And it is used throughout these verses, and all of these toves, all of these goods, climax in verse 11. Where the teacher says, wisdom is good. And it is more than that. He says, wisdom, in the second half of 11 and 12, is an advantage. Which is significant because throughout this book, the teacher has looked around at life and he said, look at that, no gain there, no advantage there, no profit there. Look at all of these things that I can pursue. And in all of those things, there is no gain, there is no advantage. And then like we saw a few weeks ago, he says there's an advantage in ordinary friendship and relationships. And then he comes in chapter 7 and he says there is advantage in wisdom. It is good. It is profitable. It is valuable. It is difficult to learn. But that difficulty is worth it. A good name is more precious than one. Wisdom has profit and gain and advantage for you. It is valuable. Conversing uh, with this passage uh, makes me think of talking with my friends who are runners, and especially those who like to do the marathon thing. It's utterly strange to me. 
Right? Why would you inflict that pain on yourself? And then my friends say to me, no, 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 here are all these benefits, this accomplishment of being able to run this many miles in a, ro- in a row, and then there's the endorphins, and there's all the health benefits. It really is difficult, but it's worth it. And, and clearly I haven't been convinced. Um, <laughs> but I hope that I can be convinced by what the teacher says here, that wisdom is difficult It is a rigorous training where you are challenged, where you have to wrestle with the mysteries of life. It is difficult, it is rigorous, but it is worth it. It is valuable. And it's not just the teacher in Ecclesiastes who talks this way. There's another teacher, a greater teacher, who talks this way. Jesus talks like this. We studied the Gospel of Matthew last year, and you remember in the Sermon on the Mount, this major teaching of Jesus, he comes to the end and he contrasts the wise and the foolish. And he says the wise have stability, their lives are built on a rock. They have profit, they have advantage. And he says the foolish, their lives are built on sand and they're washed away. So there's the advantage, but think about the teaching that Jesus has given to us. It is difficult. It is rigorous. He says, if you struggle with sin, cut off your hand and pluck out your eye. Rigorous training. That's worth it. It's valuable. Jesus says elsewhere, if you want to learn from me, you have to take up your cross. You have to not only consider death, but you have to die to yourself to learn wisdom from me. So are you willing to go to school? Are you willing to consider death? Are you willing to consider your own mortality and learn wisdom from it? Are you willing to be challenged Are you willing to be told that you are wrong and learn wisdom from it? Are you willing to sit and wait in less than ideal circumstances and learn wisdom there? Are you willing to enter the rigorous training that gives us the treasure of wisdom. Now here's the problem. Is while we are almost convinced by the teacher in Ecclesiastes 7 that wisdom is worth it. He holds it up, he celebrates it, he says there's gain, there's advantage. He almost immediately takes it away. <laughs> he almost immediately undermines what he says in verse 13 after saying here's all that's great about wisdom and why you should learn it. He says Who can make straight what God has made crooked? So wisdom and righteousness are good, but they are limited. They are good, but they are limited. Two basic limitations in relationship to wisdom and righteousness. They are limited in relationship to death. So wisdom can learn from death, but it cannot overcome it. Persistent problem in the book of Ecclesiastes. What do you do with death? Wisdom can learn from it, but it cannot overcome it. 
And then he brings righteousness into the game in verse 15. And he says, righteousness, not only can it not, it's unable to overcome death, it can't even prevent an early, untimely, and unjust death. He says, I have seen the wicked live long and prosperous and happy lives, and I've seen the righteous die young. So wisdom and righteousness are limited in relationship to death. They are also limited in that there is never enough. Verse 20, are you ever righteous enough that you can say that you are without sin? No. And he goes on to illustrate that truth with this idea of cursing, of, of you're worried about other people cursing you, but remember that you have cursed other people. There's never enough righteousness to say that you are without sin. And then verse 23 and 24, there's never enough wisdom. He reflects on his own pursuit of wisdom and he finds that although it is good, he, ca- he cannot grasp all the mysteries of life with wisdom, no matter how hard he works in school. He cannot fully grasp the mysteries of life. So why so negative? You notice this? It's like the teacher is very uncomfortable being positive. He can be positive a little bit and say, there's gain with wisdom, but wait, let me take all that away and remind you of, of how wisdom cannot deal with death and how wisdom, there's never enough. There's never enough righteousness. Why so negative? Well, the teacher, by emphasizing this lack, he leads us to God. By emphasizing what is limited about wisdom and righteousness, he leads us to the God of wisdom and righteousness. Verse 13, he talks about thinking and considering the work of God. Verse 14, he says, God has made them both, both the day of rejoicing, the day of prosperity, and the day of adversity. Verse 18 He says, the one who fears God comes out from both. And the idea is there that the one who fears God comes from this false view of righteousness and from wickedness. The one who fears God comes out from them both. And here's the point. The teacher is saying, when you experience the limits of wisdom and righteousness, it should remind you that you need something else. Or better, you need someone else. There is something more fundamental to your life than wisdom and righteousness, and that is worship. And that is faith. He asked us, when wisdom doesn't work the way you think it should, will you still worship? When righteousness doesn't guarantee for you a long, prosperous, and happy life, will you still worship? Will you still trust? When you consider your own failings to be wise and righteous, will you still worship? Will you still live by faith? He wants us to see the preeminence of God 
and our worship of God over even good virtues. My phone froze this week. And I couldn't, I couldn't get it to work. And I, I sat for longer than I am willing to admit, punching the screen with my finger, with growing frustration as to why my phone would not work. The teacher is confronting that version of the spiritual life. The technological approach to the spiritual life, where we think if we punch the right buttons we will get the desired results. That if we get the checklist right of the practices of righteousness, if we come to church and we read our Bibles and we pray and we are pretty moral people, then life will work out the way we want it to. If we make wise choices with our money, if we make wise choices with our relationships and with our families, if we punch those buttons then we will get the result that we want. And what happens when we don't get the results? We punch harder with growing frustration at what we want from life but aren't getting. But notice where that leaves us. That leaves us here, right? It leaves us focused on our ability. It leaves us focused on our capacity to manipulate a system rather than on the one who rules over everything that is. It leaves us focused on our morality, on our virtues, rather than living in worship and living by faith in the God of wisdom and righteousness. The teacher wants to confront a technological approach to the spiritual life. And so he says, don't be overly righteous. Don't have too much wisdom. And he says these things to provoke us. And he wants to ask us, what comes first in your life? Is it your virtue or is it your worship? What comes first in your life? Is it your obedience or is it your faith? Another way to ask it is who is at the center? Is it you or is it God? Is it your ability to live wisely and righteously? Or it is God in His wisdom and His righteousness in who He is and in what He has done for us. The teacher takes us to wisdom and righteousness and he says they are good, but they are limited. And when you experience their limits, when you know their limits, let that lead you to God. Let it lead you to the one that you cannot control, that you cannot manipulate. So yes, want wisdom, pursue righteousness, but not as techniques to get God to respond to you based on faith in yourself. Pursue those virtues as responses to God, responses of worship to Him, 
driven by faith in who He is and by what He has done. And when we do that, when we come to God and worship in faith, not attempting to manipulate Him by our obedience, then we will find one who is not only worthy of our worship, and He is, He is infinitely worthy of our worship, our trust, and our devotion. But we find one who has entered the world that Ecclesiastes describes. The frustrating world full of injustice. A world where the righteous die early. God has entered that world and become a man through Jesus Christ. Full of wisdom. Perfectly righteous. And although fully wise and perfectly righteous, he died young, didn't he? And he died young in order to give us wisdom and righteousness, yes. But more than that, Jesus gave himself on the cross. He rose from the dead in order to give us more than wisdom and righteousness can give us. He died and he rose to give us forgiveness. We look at all our failures, all our shortcomings to be wise and righteous. Jesus died to to give us forgiveness. And He died and rose to overcome death on our behalf. So that we can look at death and learn from it, but we know that it has been overcome and that if we are in Him, we will be raised to new life. So do you want wisdom? Do you want righteousness? Good. You should want those things, but want Jesus more. Because it is in Him that you will find wisdom and righteousness. And not only that, but forgiveness and new life as well. Let's pray. Father, we, we join the teacher in looking around at our world and often being confused in wondering what your work is. But would you help us to embrace the faith that is given to us in the Scriptures? That although wisdom and righteousness don't work out the way that we want them to work out, that you are still ruling and reigning. That you are still working all things for good for those who belong to you. That in Jesus you have given us forgiveness, you have given us new life, and you have empowered us to know wisdom and to know righteousness. Would you teach us by your Holy Spirit? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.